This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Breeds their married couple who has not heard of Mrinalini Tope Deshmukh. The renowned lawyer has experience of over two decades in the subject of family law. An expert in sexual harassment at work, an expert in gender justice, and an expert in structuring of wealth and alimony, Mrinalini Deshmukh is a strong voice in cross-border child custody. In a rare interview, Deshmukh discusses law of course, but also marriage, family and divorce. So I cannot believe that I have the time of uh, the most sought after lawyer. It's very difficult to get your time by any client, very difficult to get your confirmation as a lawyer for anybody who's seeking your guidance, assistance and we are privileged to have a chat with you. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm really humbled by the generous and the warm words used by you. But no, I am most accessible. And if I can mm-hmm. be of any anybody who is a disturbed soul, I think it's my privilege to do so. You know, I was reading through your bio data and I realized that uh, you come from a very, very accomplished and distinguished background. You grew up in a home where everybody was... Uh, a uh, judge uh, or a uh, part of the legal system so what has been your early influences like so as you rightly stated that uh, i have been uh, sort of you know i have grown up in an environment which was breathing law day in and day out my father was yeah. an eminent jurist uh, he was a principal of the government law college uh, a constitutional mm-hmm. professor later he rose to be the vice chancellor of the bombay university he was also the sheriff of bombay uh, his name was Dr. Trimba Krishna Tope, Dr. T.K. Tope. He was the person uh, who actually mentored, groomed, and the initial days of it was you know, primarily because of his influence on us. Uh, one interesting part about it is that he was closely associated with Dr. Ambedkar, Dr. Baba Sahib mm. Ambedkar. And since mm. my father constitutional professor and Dr. Ambedkar, of course, at that point of time was busy with the uh, Constituent Assembly and the different drafts for the constitution of our India. He would call my father and very often take his views on certain clauses and certain aspects of the constitutional law. And uh, Mm. my father, of interacting with him and more than sharing his uh, knowledge, absorbing a lot from Dr. Ambedkar. And mm. he would always come with us and say that we are so fortunate to have in this country, not only a legal luminary like Dr. Ambedkar, but for someone whose heart bleeds for the country and for the betterment of the society in India. And these are the teachings that we would have. And these were all started when we were, it was like a dinner table conversation. And he, and we would understand and absorb to the limited capacity that we had at that point of time in terms mm. of our age. But what about it and I think that is what is played and what the, as I said that constitutional law was there for our breakfast lunch and dinner and that as a result of which law was a natural course that one thought of taking once uh, I completed my graduation so I did my graduation in economics and political science from the St. Xavier's College in Mumbai and after mm-hmm. doing that pursued my three years of law and uh, started practicing as a lawyer in the Bombay High Court was there a pressure on you because you were the daughter of such an illustrious uh, father that you have to excel? And was there the same pressure on your siblings? Are they lawyers too? 
So to answer your second question first, no, I'm the only lawyer amongst the four of us, uh, the brothers and sisters. And as mm-hmm. far as the pressure was concerned, I think it was a self-imposed pressure on me because I always mm-hmm. believed I had to live up to the name and the legacy that I had got uh, in this, especially in this legal field. And I was fortunate enough to get. So it made me more responsible, if I may say so. It made me more hardworking. It made me more determined and more focused on my subject. Um, so these were all self-imposed. I have no idea about whether others had expectations from me, but I did want to live up to the legacy that I had inherited. So it's very interesting, Brunalini, because most uh, children who are in college really don't know where or how and what they are going to pursue. But you already had a goal in front of you. You knew you wanted to do law. You knew you wanted to be a lawyer. You knew you wanted to excel. Um, how were your friends and your professional colleagues uh, looking at you? Did they feel admiration? Were they feeling threatened? Uh, what was the general vibe you got? So fortunately, the kind of friends that I had valued me for the person that I am and liked me for the person that I am as a friend. And it didn't really matter to them what background I came from. So these friends were something who bonded well only because of the way we interacted with each other and we liked each other and we we sort of you know grew up with each other. Uh, but sort of, uh, I would never say that there was any kind of a special admiration for me. And more importantly. Uh, Neither me nor my family ever made me feel that I had this this inherit, uh, this legacy with me. Was a very, very very simple common person like all of us, and believed in doing. And I think that's that's really paid a lot for for the way uh, one interacted with friends at that point of time without being uh, sort of you know um, how do I say uh, affected by what one's background was. Hmm. And what made you choose family law? Okay, so that's a, that's it's. I think it's destiny. Sometimes it says we say it's divine intervention. So my passion mm-hmm. for law has always been constitutional law because I said we had it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So obviously that was <laughs> the only that, that was the only thing that I wanted to do, and I did do yeah. that for the first years of my marriage. Uh, but uh, after I conceived and I had my two children, I took a sabbatical for nearly sixteen years. One six, so sixteen years of sabbatical. I needed to devote my my energy, time, etc., to both my children. Today, I'm very proud to say that both of them are lawyers, and both of them are doing exceed. So, I think that kind of uh, that kind of uh, sort of in time invested with them and with them and bonding with them has sort of you know helped them to grow up. And once uh, once they started. Once they started growing a little, you know, going to a regular school, which was say from nine o'clock till four, four thirty, um, then I started my practice. Now, incidentally, at around that time, I shifted to Bandra. We were staying earlier at Matunga, and we shifted to Bandra. And as luck mm-hmm. would have it, court uh, set up just a few years earlier to that in the BKC area, which is very close to my residence. So then I thought mm-hmm. it was a good opportunity for me that I must make the most of it that I can combine my attention and uh, sort of time towards children and also pursue something which I also always liked uh, that is to practice law because going to the high court from Bandra and coming back commuting would have robbed me of all my time energy and uh, sort of you know ex- excitement at the same time 
wanted to pursue. So I said, why, why don't I try family law? I had no senior. I had no chamber to work under. I literally walked into the court. I, I used to move around in the courts and find what it is. I, it was it was like an office. I mean, I was just like a, I mean, worse than an intern or a very simple sort of law, law student. Uh, mm. But I started working on that, uh, did my initial applications, did my initial court appearances, etc. And then probably, you know, with my hard work and with my sort of, you know, blessings of uh, elders and God, was able to sort of, you know, work hard in this entire field. Just to give a little background to the, yeah. to the listener, our Indian family laws are based on our personal laws. For example, we are, uh, if we are Hindu, we are governed by the Hindu law. If we are governed by, if we are Muslims, Muslim law, Parsi law, etc. Okay. So all those are then, they deal with issues like a divorce, that is the status of the marriage, whether there's a divorce, annulment or legality. Then they have issues mm. with, there are children from the marriage, the, the child custody, the child care and the parenting. Then if there are child support, then there is alimony, then there's division of the asset. And all these issues are with the family law. And let me tell you, Bhavna, when I started around 18, 19 years back, just said, there were very few cases. In fact, in the Bombay Family Court, mm. there are around 500 cases in a year that would be filed, 500 to 600 cases. And today, yeah. as, we, as we speak, I think there are around 14,000 to 15,000 cases every what year. What do you think has happened? Well, what has happened, a lot of things have happened. Number one is maybe to put it in a, in a more first in a positive manner and then in a negative manner. In positive manner is people have become more aware of their rights. People are more aware of what, what is the option that they want in life. For example, in a matter if you are happy or if you are unhappy. In the previous generations or generations prior to that, there was not much of an option that was there for people. And there was no question of anybody divorcing each other because that was a social taboo. It was a, it was a family taboo and nobody ever thought about it. Uh, and, and more importantly, in such cases, you know, Bhavna, there were women who may have been in a marriage which was very unhappy, which was very oppressive, which was very turbulent for them. But they had no option because no financial support to go back. That, that parental family never, never wanted them back. They would say, you've got married, you have to live there and you have to die there. That was the attitude which was there. But slowly, especially if I talk about women, because I'm talking about gender justice in a sense, especially when women started you know, educating or the other women were educated, they started working, they started earning. It gave them a lot of confidence and belief in themselves. It also gave them financial independence and it also gave them an option to think of what is to be done with their lives rather than stuck in a situation which was pathetic, in a situation which was oppressive, in a situation which was traumatic and where people in the past had continued for lack of any option. So this awareness and belief and this strength within themselves has also brought about a little bit of surge in the number of cases that we see over the period of time. And mm -hmm. lastly, and importantly, I the social fabric today, uh, the you know the impact of the global uh, sort of you know uh, now if you see if you see overseas so many divorces happening, you have so many cases which are happening, which is a norm. I mean, which is not something mm -hmm. which is looked at as an exceptional thing. So the mm -hmm. influence also was there that if you are unhappy, then you should exercise your option and not stay the, the embitter 
and a very sort of aggressive and a volatile environment. I think these are the causes which has happened. And, and I, I must add one more thing is that mm -hmm. the law, the amendment to the provisions of law, the, the judgments by the Supreme Court and the other high courts on the rights of the women, the rights of the children and such things have further strengthened and given rights to, especially the, the how do I say, the marginalized section in a, in a society which was the women at large in the earlier times and, and strengthen them for, for their reliefs and for their uh, options in life in terms of, you know, whether they want to be in a relationship or they want to be out of it and what are their rights that come along with the marriage. So see, it's been a, it's a combination, it's a cocktail of different things. Um, and that's, that's the way it is. You know, a lot of people whom I know are saying that, you know, um, the girl gets married in the family and uh, within a year they have a divorce because a lot of them are also uh, doing the marriages and the divorces for alimony. So Bhavna, unfortunately, what you're saying is true in some of the cases. And, you know, you'll be surprised to know because I have dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, a variety of cases. These are mm -hmm. the kind of who are the haves and not the have-nots. Mm -hmm. So these, these are the women who are coming from a very privileged background. And mm -hmm. uh, these, are the, these are the kind of women who, uh, I'm, I'm sort of sorry to say, but have misused and abused the law for their mm -hmm. personal um, sort of, you know, gratification or for their personal enrichment. So there yeah. are some cases, but uh, believe you me, uh, this is a minority. And this is mm. about more in the urban areas, like where you and me are interacting with these kind of people. But mm. we is largely in, in the, uh, you know, two towns, other things, we still find that there are women who are really, really at the receiving end. There's a patriarchal mm. mindset. There is lack of opportunity and options given to them. Uh, there is, there is no, there's no way out that they can get out of this trap, uh, trap to relationship. Mm. And as it, the law has strengthened the provision for such women, you know, you'll be surprised to know if we just deviate a little bit from here, is that mm. it was only in the year 2015-2016 that for the first mm. time in a country like India, where women's issues were so relevant and so important, that the protection of women from the Domestic Violence Act came into force. And that yeah. has in such kind of women who were trapped in a violent relationship. And domestic violence, as understood in law, means physical, mental, emotional, and financial violence. So the law, law sort of, you know, uh, how do I say, expanded the, the, the concept of violence for a woman in a household thing. Also, mm. if you see, uh, like you and me are working women, that mm. even safety and the security of the women at workplace was an issue. And yeah. that is the, uh, the, the law for what is known as partial protection of, from the sexual uh, harassment was at workplace was a law yeah. which was enacted in 2013. This was more after yeah. the Nirmaya episode happened in 2012 in the Varma Committee report. And these yeah. things are there. So at every point of time, in a way, the enactment and the, and the legislation has been, has been strengthening the cause of not to let women suffer and be oppressed because there, there is a large section of the women who are subjected to this. But I think you started your question by saying that women get married after a year or two and in the local um, sort of uh, parlance, they are called as gold diggers. Yes, yeah. we do have such kinds. 
but they are, um, I would say, a small percentage as compared to the larger section of the society, the women, where they really need the laws to strengthen them and embolden them. So tell me, Mridalini, uh, you would know because of your experience, your expertise and so many years of uh, doing the job, um, when a new client comes to you and uh, they tell you their story, you know instantly whether they are lying or not and whether they are oppressed or not. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think this is what comes with years of experience and exposure to different kinds of cases. I mean, it becomes as if it's a face reading. You know, let's talk about it. Because we, we, we do it and we are able to find out not only whether it, the, the client is lying or telling the truth. When people come to us and ask divorce, we are also able to see through it that this is more of a reactionary meeting that they are having because they had a fight the previous evening. And this is not a material divorce. The parties can live together. The parties need to understand and sort out their differences either between themselves or with the help of any professionals like a counselor or a clinical psychologist or any other person. And this is not... Are able, and in fact, in so many of my cases, I tell that I know you have come for this, but I don't think your marriage needs any kind of any kind of remedy. You just need to work out on your differences, and the situation will be fine. So I remember one of the cases when one woman had come to me and said, "Listen, Renali, I've come to you with a lot of ammunition, and I want you to be the missile that will just blow him off and destroy him." So I said, "I'm sorry, you've come to a person. I am not going to be doing that." And then I spoke to her and, and I spoke to her, I calmed her down and I told her everything. And after she was a little more normal and in a sense stable emotionally, then she realized that she was something in a reactionary. And then she said, thank you so much for guiding me towards this because I had come to you with an intent that you will be the missile to destroy. I said, we as lawyers are not here to destroy families. We are not bring about kind of thing. We are here, we could only to be able to try and find a solution in situations which are very tumultuous or where we are very turbulent or situations where um, people are really sometimes in a, trapped in a loveless or traumatic relationship, but not every misunderstanding or miscommunication or a fight should lead to a divorce. You know, but it's a big pressure and a responsibility to be the voice of justice because you are looked upon particularly as the voice of gender justice. And uh, while some people perceive you that you will be the missile and blow it up, how do you retain your balance? How do you constantly keep checking your premise that you are on the right path? Who is your conscience keeper? How, uh, who is the person who holds you a mirror? Uh, I think that's a very, very interesting and a very, very relevant question. Um, I think I think it's my own self because I always believe that if you are very honest, straightforward and forthright in what you believe to be the truth, then I think everything falls in place. If I am going to be one of the lawyers who is going to fuel litigation for my personal um, sort of, you know, gain, or if I'm going to give any kind of directions which are which are incorrect, then I think it's my own conscience which will invite me and say that, listen, Manali, you knew this is, this is not right. And you advising this for any other for any other purpose or reason is incorrect. So I think it's only myself and my, my obviously, I mean, I mean, this is uh, undoubtedly and, and it's no brainer, obviously the value systems that I have grown up with and this being a daughter of a teacher 
all these values have been ingrained into us. And uh, I think that's also plays a major role in, you know, the way a, a person shapes up as a professional. This is what I truly believe with any kind of profession. So like your father, you have been a professor at the college too and taught them law. Which one do you enjoy more, to be a lawyer or to teach them law? Uh, so I'll tell you something. This uh, uh, Teaching them law was when my children were young and I had not taken a practice. But I was passionate about the subject and I wanted to remain in touch with it. That is why I did my master's in law after my daughter was born. And um, and after I did my master's, and let's call it, then I said, that uh, let me let, how do I how do I make use of what I studied because I really studied hard for it. What do I do? Then I said the best way is I can't practice law. My kids are too young. Then I said might as well start teaching. And I think once I started teaching the postgraduate students of law, um, obviously first two three lectures were very you know one was very nervous. One one was one went blank a couple of times. You know though we had prepared and you know, in taking. Lecture, Bhavna, if I have to speak for one hour, I have to prepare for two hours. As if I'm, you know, going to speak two hours. This is the kind of preparation I had to do. Um, so I did, basically, I did teach, I took up teaching to be in touch with the subject and to be able to be uh, sort of, you know, able to study more because if you have to teach someone, you yourself have to learn and equip yourself. Uh, what do I enjoy? Oh, there's great in being in the courtroom. There's great thrill in argument. There's great thrill in um, in a cross examination that we have to do or to about a witness. There's a great thing in final arguments and studying law, applying law, and doing. Uh, honestly, yes, law as a lawyer, that's the best way to pursue one subject as a professional, as a lawyer. You also go for a lot of moot uh, court, uh, you know, organized by the law students. You attend a lot of international and national uh, uh, conferences, seminars. You are also consulted for uh, the framing of new laws, particularly related to women and uh, gender. So uh, how do you find time and space for all this and how do you juggle your schedule? So basically, it's it's the it's it's a passion for the subject and what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, once I think, uh, I think it's it's everybody would know that that once you're determined that you want to do something, I think you can really organize yourself in a manner which will which will take care of your profession and also the other situations which you need to uh, sort of you know do because ultimately. If you have studied, if you have worked, and if you have so much of experience, you do have to give it back to the society. And we, the only way to give it back is to share your knowledge, to share your experience, and also the suggestion that one makes for, because you know, I'll tell you something, the National Commission of Women, I think it was three years, pre-COVID, so around three or four years back, had organized a conference in which they had called me, that whether in yeah, we should introduce the concept of a prenuptial agreement, which if you know, and for the other viewers or other listeners who do not know, prenuptial agreement is an agreement entered into by the intending parties of marriage before the marriage that in the event of a divorce, the, these should be the terms and conditions on which they would pass. Now, this is a very, uh, sort of, uh, I would say, a Hollywood concept, a very Western concept. Yeah. Not in India. But today, increasingly, I find as a lawyer, and I'm sure there are many others who are equally finding the same thing, that people come to us that we know that prenups are not valid in India and uh, uh, they are not a part of the Indian law legal system. But is there any way that we, feel that we can protect our assets 
like you just gave an example at the beginning that some some people get, some women get married and within one year of marriage they want a divorce because they want to make a quick buck by alimony so having gone through this also abuse of certain laws by certain section of the women uh, which entail that the, the husband and his family members were at the receiving end so all these things have caused a lot in the hearts of of people and they do want to protect their assets and they do want to protect themselves prior to marriage much as one wanted that people are saying that how can you have an agreement before divorce for divorce before marriage but i think today of the hour looking at it uh, the way this is happening mm. you've written a book on divorce published by penguin now i have read many books on marriage you know what are the steps to take before marriage during marriage i have not heard of a book on divorce and how did you think of it how did you write it was it co-written did you dictate the book uh, so this was a shobha day uh, was series was the one uh, so the penguin publication they approached me they were having this uh, shobha day series in which there were women lawyers and etc taking different subjects zia modi has written on uh, on the company law and the corporate law and they approached me and they said that yes as you rightly said uh, that there is there is no book on a divorce it was there on relationships etc but they said that we want you to write or if you could author a book for us which could be basically for a lay person and not for law students or for lawyers so it was not supposed to be a research oriented book it was supposed to be a book any lay person with a, with a with a little bit of understanding could understand so it's a very very basic book and i have tried to make it into as simple words and and and, and as simple phrases which are there only so that i'm able to sort of reach out to a larger audience because before coming lawyer bhavna i've seen in a lot of cases and my clients have told me it really takes a lot of courage to sort of you know go to a divorce lawyer in a society like ours it's like going to a cancer cancer surgeon you know you don't want to go there you don't want to go and see a, can- a doctor who specializes in cancer something like that to that effect so the, and they are completely lost they are emotionally fragile or they are very agitated or whatever the case may be and then at that that point in time okay today you have a google who gives you basic information but this book of mine which i have written that basically you know uh, it is it is breaking up step by step guide to your divorce this book mainly deals with what are the basic grounds available for the people it also deals with what are the different ways and i have sort of uh, dealt with these grounds of divorce the procedures etc using my cases of course we don't have to disclose the id or we have not disclosed the identity because as you know i have a lot of cases about people from the bollywood also and some of the cases other so combination of all i have included in my book but none of the names are there identities are not disclosed but the concept and the matter was taken and it was weaved into how the legal situation is and what were the judgments of the court to that effect so i tried to i have to, and it was all my that so i i'm not a great writer i don't claim to be a great author but these were just my experiences and my expression that were put forward in a way where i used to record my uh, sort of you know what my thoughts were and then they would get it transcribed on the on the computer or things like that yeah so that's the way we i have worked on this so my last question so many people who are suffering going through emotional turmoil come to you uh, does the lawyer have good night sleep or is she weighed down by the suffering of a client 
So the lawyer is when she is at her desk or she's at the court, she's a completely devoted professional. When she's out of those two places, that hat is removed. And then she becomes a family person, a friend, a, fr a friend to a friend, uh, a mother, a wife, a daughter-in-law, and uh, just normal and, and, you know, people around. I have been able to sort of extricate myself from these professional stresses. Initially, to be very honest to you, Bhavna, I would get, uh, you know, down by this, especially in child custody matters. They were very painful for me. The mother in me also, I used to find it very painful. But over a period of time, I have learned that if I have to be professional, then I cannot mix up my my personal emotions or my personal sort of things into it. Otherwise, then I'm not being a good professional and that's not correct. So I have learned it a little hard way. It was it used to initially affect me and really sort of weigh me down. But today, fortunately, and over a period of time, I have been able to sort of have those two different things that this is my profession and this is my personal life. Neither of that should enter into each other. You know, something I can tell you very strange. Sometimes when I appear for a husband, the some women used to come and say, you're a woman, how can you appear for a man? So I said, I'm a professional. I'm a professional. A professional has no gender. A professional has to do her whole job in a proper manner. You can't say that I can't have a male gynecologist. A gynecologist has to be a female only. I mean, it's as absurd as that. So, you know, so the notion that people also have when they come to you and uh, yeah. things like but uh, yeah you have to deal with it that's what um, the profession is all about I think it's lovely the way you put it and today we have spoken to the professional and to the person and we are very happy that we chatted with her thank you so much Bhavna for inviting me and this opportunity to chat up with you thank you for tuning in if you have liked this episode do comment do rate on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Castbox, Spotify, GeoSavan, so that you get notified when we come next. Stay tuned for the next episode with yet another guest. And until then, take great care of yourself.